This morning as we get started, I'm going to guess that in this room for each of us, there's something that bothers each and every one of us, right? Something that weighs on us uh, and, and really weighs on us on the behalf of others. You know, maybe it's an injustice. Uh, I think it's pretty easy in the world right now to grab a hold of. And, and we see there's a, a, so much injustice happening in the world right now that, that I'm sure that there's something about it that you can find that bothers you. Maybe, maybe there's a need, maybe that, that you've seen in people's lives. Maybe there's somebody that's hurting. There's somebody that's broken. Maybe there's somebody that, a story that you've heard about somebody that's been abused or a people group that have been neglected. You know, I like to call it this, the sense of that maybe there's a divine burden that you feel on your life, that, that there's just something on the inside of you that draws you towards being the solution to a problem. There's probably something in the room right now that disturbs you, something that, you know, if you thought about it for too long, it might make you cry because the, the weight of that burden just upsets you so deeply. And as I was preparing this message, I had this thought that the burden that we bear often reveals the calling that we'll embrace. Let me say that again. The burden that we bear often reveals the calling that we will embrace. And, and what that means is that this, the, the thing that upsets you, this thing that drives you, this need that you feel that, that you're compelled to meet, this is the very thing that will drive us towards making a difference in the lives of the people that are around us. And with that thought, there's one thing that I have realized in, in going through life that we rarely know when we're on the front end of something that's really, really special. Right? If you think about the beginning of our church, and, and really the thing that my parents did is, is that when, when my parents decided to start a church and, and they showed up on the first day and there was five people in the church and, and, and five people who were forced to be uh, in the church. It was forced membership. Uh, and, you know, when we, they started Light City, at that time formerly known as Victory Christian Center International of Niagara, Inc., how many of you are thankful for name changes? Uh, they didn't know that they were on the front end of something that was so unbelievably special, something that would impact the lives of hundreds and thousands that would be the, 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 the very place that marriages would take place and healing would take place and people would find family for the. Rarely do we know when we're at the beginning of something how special that thing actually is going to be. Right? And, and, and you hear people asking all the time, you know, did we know that what was going to happen was going to happen? And maybe you've been asked a similar question. And, and almost everybody who answers this question says a resounding, absolutely not. Right? In fact, for the majority of us, if we knew what it was going to be where we are right now, most of us probably wouldn't have done it because we probably thought it was going to be some small Bible study in our house that has now turned into this. All it simply was, was that we saw a need. Maybe we saw an opportunity to help. We decided that we were gonna, you know, give it a shot, try it out. And, and, and I believe that this is exactly where some of us are right now in this room, in Buffalo, online, across the world, that, that we're in this spot right now where we see a need. We see people. We, I mean, like I said, it's not hard in our world today to see a need. 
you know, we're considering serving, we're praying about an idea maybe that, you know, we're thinking of starting something, we're thinking about, you know, joining an organization or something, and we have no idea that we are on the front end of something that's very special and ultimately impacts people that we would be able to be the visible image, the visible representation of an invisible God. So my message today, like I said, is called Invisible Heroes, and we're going to go to the book of Nehemiah. Now, I've had a bit of fun going into the Old Testament lately, reading these stories. Uh, and, and, and the book of Nehemiah, um, actually, the book of Nehemiah originally was known as the book of Ezra Nehemiah, because Ezra was a prophet, uh, and he lived at the same time as Nehemiah did, okay? So Nehemiah, which we're going to talk about today, Nehemiah was an absolutely ordinary guy. The majority of books in the Old Testament are dedicated towards someone special, a king, a prophet, some man or woman of God, a judge, a leader. And we meet Nehemiah, and Nehemiah is ultimately an absolutely ordinary guy, but a book is dedicated to him, and we're going to talk about why. So the year that we're in now is 587 BC. This was a long, 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 long time ago. And what's happening in the, in the book of Nehemiah, actually, if you go through Ezra and Nehemiah, you kind of need to, to go through both of the books to understand the context of what's happening, is that King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians have attacked Jerusalem. Now, this is a common theme that happens throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, is that people, because Satan and the enemy is constantly trying to extinguish the light, he's been doing that throughout all of history, He's trying to extinguish the hope that's on the inside of you, the joy that you have, the peace that you have. And just the same way in the Old Testament is that the Babylonians attacked Jerusalem. Scripture tells us that they completely destroyed, they demolished the city. And, and, and one of the significant things that they did was that they demolished the first temple. Okay? The Babylonians took the Jewish people captives. They became slaves. They crushed their spirits. You know, they, they demoralized them beyond any semblance of hope. Everything that they thought, their existence, their hope, everything that, that their life was revolved around had been destroyed. And, and they find themselves hopeless. And we see them, they're in this situation, not for days or weeks, they're in this situation for decades, okay? And, and finally, through the work of different people, the hand of God, some Jews were released to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild their homeland, okay? Now, now oftentimes when, when, when we see these types of images portrayed, it's with a lot of rejoicing, a lot of celebrating, but if we can for a moment imagine what it would feel like for this group of Israelite people as they're going back to their city that's been completely demolished, okay? There's no economic system. There's no sense of security. There's no leadership structure. There's ultimately no hope. And, and when we read through the book of Ezra, we realize that, 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 that groups went back and, and tried to rebuild, but they were constantly bombarded and attacked on every side. 
So they, in captivity, their city is destroyed. They're captured. They're in captivity for decades. Finally, they feel like the miracle of God has come. And they go back to their homeland where they continue to be oppressed and beat down. How many of you can feel the emotion that they'd be feeling? And that is, they probably feel as though they're failures. And so 140 years after the destruction... 140 years. An ordinary guy named Nehemiah steps on the scene. And I want to make sure we understand this. He's not a pastor. He's not a priest. He's not a prophet. He's not a warrior. He's not a contractor. You know, he's not verified on Instagram. Scripture tells us that he's a cupbearer for the king. He's an ordinary guy. But what makes him different is the scripture tells us that his heart was broken for his people and for his city. Okay? He had no formal appointed position. But as we read through the book, we realize that what he had was a God-ordained passion to be the difference in this season, okay? And and I don't know who I would be speaking to this morning, but I believe there's people right now that you feel like you have no position. You feel like you have no voice. You feel like you have no right, but there is a God-ordained passion that's burning on the inside of you that's telling you, almost requiring you to begin to make a difference. And this is the exact situation that Nehemiah finds himself in. He's got really no backing. He's got no people. He doesn't have an army. He doesn't necessarily have a direct connection to God because we know that was the place of the priests. But what he had was passion. And scripture tells us that he sat down and and he cried is is really what it says. he, He cries and he's fasting. And then it says he knelt down to pray and We're going to talk about this, the significance of his prayer. Scripture talks about 12 different times. Nehemiah kneels down to pray, and then he stands up to act. Right? Because he realized that somebody has got to do something. Someone's got to do something. And instead of trying to put the pressure on everybody else, he acknowledges the passion on the inside of him and says, this might as well be me. So how do we do the work? How do we be a hero? Because how many of you know that unless Batman decided to put on his cape and build the Bat Cave, he would have just been another ordinary billionaire, which I I guess kind of doesn't make you ordinary, but he would have just been another ordinary guy. What made him make the difference was he was willing to do the work, to put the effort in, to follow his passion, to see his city revived. And so As we take a look at the book of Nehemiah, I want to talk about four things. Like I said, this is going to be very practical because I believe that sometimes the most spiritual thing that we can do is to stand up and do something practical with our days. So number one, we see that Nehemiah, he seeks God faithfully. Scripture tells us that 12 different times in this book, before he does anything, he, we see evidence that Nehemiah is spending time in prayer. So before he does anything, 
before he steps out on his passion, what? He seeks the Lord, okay? How many of you know some people who are very passionate about something, very passionate about doing something, and that passion starts fires rather than makes a difference, okay? So Nehemiah doesn't just act on his passion, but he seeks God first. In fact, if we were to talk about a timeline about how long he's seeking God, the scripture says that he hears the news about his people and it's in the month of Kislev, okay? And, and if you go back and do the conversions of all the calen calendars, essentially this is the month of November, December, kind of somewhere in there. And, and the scripture says that it's in the month of Kislev that he starts praying. And, and, and then it, it talks about the month of Nisan, which is essentially four months. So before he does anything, before he petitions the king, before he steps up, before he makes a difference, he spends four months in prayer, in fasting, seeking the Lord for what God would have him to do. How many of you know there's good plans and then there's God plans? Not all good plans are God plans, but all God plans are good plans. So we see him after this four month period of time, he approaches the king. And, and it's important for us to understand that, that uh, Nehemiah and the king, they weren't buddies. Okay, this is important. Because sometimes again, we see movies and there's like the cupbearer, but the cupbearer has like a real chummy relationship with the king. This was not the case, okay? Nehemiah was a slave, okay? And so it's really impossible to describe how tricky it would have been for Nehemiah, the cupbearer, to ask the king. In fact, let's take a minute and talk about what a cupbearer was. It sounds like a very honorable and noble position. But a cupbearer, you know, there was constantly people trying to kill the king. And so the cupbearer would drink the wine and eat the food before the king would eat it so that if somebody was gonna die, it was gonna be the cupbearer, okay? So, so really when we look at it that way, we realize this wasn't an, oh, like you're not putting your bestie in position as the cupbearer because there's a good chance that he was not the first cupbearer to the king. His previous ones had passed, okay? You know, it wasn't like Esther, you know, how she's the wife and, you know, we see, and you know, she's kind of chummy with him and she comes to, we saw the difficulty in her giving the request that she was his wife. Imagine the difficulty of the conversation that Nehemiah is about to have. In fact, it was the job of the, the cupbearer to take on the burdens of the king, not to place burdens on them. In fact, if you read about what life would have been like back in the day, that, that Eastern kings, in fact, were protected from receiving any bad news, okay? Nobody wanted to give them bad news because it was kind of like a kill the messenger type of thing back then, is that they would get so, so nobody wants to bring them. So imagine, you know, we read about Nehemiah going to the king, but imagine the resolve. Imagine the degree to which the plan of God and the passion of God began to boil to him, that he's thinking to himself, this could cost me by my life, but I have to make a difference. In fact, in Nehemiah chapter two, verse one, we see evidence of this. It says this, that I had not been sad in his presence before. 
So we understand that this was not a common thing. It wasn't, it wasn't as if they had this relationship where, you know, they're talking out their days. And, and so we, we see him, and the scripture says it in um, verse 2, it says, So the king asked me. He sees that he's a little bummed, and so he says, Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? Right? And that seems caring, but it's probably that the king was annoyed, right? And, you know, he said, he said, this can be nothing but sadness of heart. Verse four says it like this. The king said it to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to God of heaven and I answered the king. Now, I, wanna, I want to draw our attention to what it says here. It says, then I prayed to God, to the God of heaven. And, you know, I believe that there's two very valuable types of prayer that we experience in our life. Because we see that, before this point, Nehemiah has spent four months praying to God and fasting so that when he has the opportunity to be with the king, he's able to send like these text message likes prayers to God because he's already been in that place of intimacy. He's already practiced what it feels like to hear the voice of God that he can get before the king when he gets the opportunity to speak. He's able to ask God a question and hear an answer. So I believe that we wanna have both types of prayer in our life. One type of prayer is the intimate type of prayer where we put ourselves away in maybe our prayer closet or where we have these deep intimate moments of prayer. But then also in our life, there should be these opportunities where as we're walking through our everyday lives, we become accustomed to asking God these quick questions. God, what do you want me to do? God, what do you want me to say? And because we've been in the secret place, it's easy for us to hear what he has to say. So I believe that what God is, is, is showing us in this passage of scripture is that when it comes to prayer, there is nothing that is too big for God's power, and there's nothing that's too small for God's heart, right? God cares about everything that's happening in our life. Maybe you don't have a desire to start a church that's going to change the world. Maybe you just want to witness to your neighbor. Can I tell you something? God cares about big and God cares about small. Maybe you want to witness to the whole world or maybe you want to get out of debt. It doesn't matter. There's nothing too big for God's power and there's nothing too small for God's heart. He cares about it all. The scripture says that we're to give our cares, our burdens to him because he cares for us. A uh, 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 kind of a vulnerable thing, that intimate story about myself and my family is, you know, I have a burden, obviously, as a husband and a father to take care of my family. That is a burden that I carry. And a few years back, two years ago or so, a year, year and a half, something like that, um, my grandfather, who has gone on to be in with glory with Jesus, was dissolving his estate, and I was living in his house, and then one day I realized that dissolving his estate means selling the house that I'm currently living in. And it dawned on me that time was short, eviction date has been set, and it was time for me to make some plans. And so Danielle and I were talking about it, and I met with a real estate agent um, who showed me around to some houses that were within my price range. Uh, and 
It was interesting. There was police involved that had to escort people out of the house that I was going to make my wife and newborn child live in. And you took a Coke can and you put it on the floor and it was might as well be a slip and slide. Uh, and so I went back to Danielle with kind of the grim news. It was kind of like Nehemiah meeting the king and she saw my face and said, you're not ill. What's going on? Uh, <laughs> And, and so I told her the scenario, eviction date has been set, we need to pray. And my wife is, she's a woman of great faith, and she went into her prayer closet, and she came out of her prayer closet, and she said, the Lord spoke to me and said, we're going to live in a new house on the water. <laughs> and I I. I laughed, uh, like scripturally accurate when someone is talking about an impossible situation. Uh, and she didn't laugh with me. She said it very straight faced. Uh, and and I, I felt the responsible thing to break to her the news that that was impossible. And she just simply kept on praying. And the beautiful thing was while we were praying, God was working. And come long and short of it was, somebody approached me uh, and basically gave me a miracle scenario. And the miracle scenario, while we were praying, the Lord was speaking to them about selling us the house for significantly under market value so that the value of the house was way more. In fact, their lawyer actually told them that what they were doing was stupid because they were giving so much money away. But it all worked out. I moved into a new house and I live, I mean, just off the water. Okay? If you stand on the roof, you can see it, right? Or when they cut down the tree that's beside my house, you go into my bedroom with binoculars, you can see it, right? But here's what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say that God answers prayers, right? There's nothing too big for God's power and there's nothing too small for God's heart. God cares about the things that we care about. I want to say, though, with that, that if prayer isn't necessary to accomplish your vision, chances are that you are not thinking big enough, okay? You want something big. You want God to challenge you. You want to dream big so that you need God to partner with you, and only prayer can accomplish it. Okay, number two, we have to de define the vision clearly. I realize that for most people, it's not a lack of caring that's your problem, it's a lack of clarity, okay? It's not a lack of caring that's your problem, it's a lack of clarity. So we see in the scripture, the king asks Nehemiah, what can I do? In Nehemiah chapter two, verse four, it says this, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him set me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Okay, we see in a single sentence, in one moment, Nehemiah is able to explain with clarity the desire that he wants the king and also God to do. He says, please send me to Judah so that I can rebuild the city. Now, thinking about this in my own life, he didn't say, you know, well, you know, King, you know, there's something, I guess, sort of, kind of, you know, that I've been thinking about, uh, you know, and my aunt Martha, you know, he, she's, 
I mean, I'm pretty sure she's from Jerusalem, you know, but, but that doesn't matter. And, you know, Martha, oh, I love her. She's got three kids, you know, and, and it's so important, you know, and one of them, his name um, was, oh, which one was it? His name was, oh, Bubba, right, Bubba. And Bubba sent me a link to an article that was talking about rebuilding something. And so I started a GoFundMe page and I, you know, was thinking about taking a missions trip. And, you know, I, I, honestly, I'm kind of tired of pouring your wine I feel like we're not close anymore. You know, you keep making me drink the stuff that might have poison in it. You know, you didn't tag me in the photo when I was in the background. And I just feel like we're not really there anymore. And, you know, besides that, I, I kind of wanted to travel around the world. And I, I wanted to see things. And, you know, I, I've been sending letters to people, talking about what I want to do, and giving them opportunities to give to me. And, you know, I, I'm not sure, kind of, but Bubba and Martha said, uh, you know, King, that since uh, I, I know you that, you know, I should probably maybe ask you for, for what's your, what, what, what you think. <laughs> right? We see that he, that's not who he says. He's, he's able to express to him very clearly, this is what I want to do. I want to go to Judah and I want to rebuild the city. For most people, it's not a lack of caring. That's our problem. It's a lack of clarity. What is God calling us to do? What's God calling you to do? Does he want you to help children? Great. Which ones? All of them? Every child? Does he want to minister to children who don't have basic needs? Children who can't read? Children who don't have homes? Maybe abused children? You know, where do you want to help them? Do you want to help them in your backyard or the ones that you live with? Do you want to help the ones in another country? Uh, what does help mean? Do you want to provide medical attention? Do you want to provide education? Do you want to help them find a home? What is it that you want to do? Because if you can't define it, there's a very strong possibility that you cannot do it. Can you explain what God is asking you to do in a sentence? You want to change the city. You want to reach people. You have a passion to do something. You want to go back to school. You want to help a friend. In order to do it, we have to know what it is that we want to do. What is God leading us to do? And Nehemiah knew what he wanted to do. Send me to Judah so I could rebuild the city. You know, maybe it's that you want to lead your family out of debt, you know, by the end of 2022. Maybe it's that you want to have a personal conversation, you know, with your neighbor, or maybe a personal conversation about Jesus with every single person in your class before you graduate at the end of the year. Maybe you want to donate $100,000 to your church before you turn 40 years old. What is it? <laughs> what is it that you want to do? Because here's the thing. God just needs our clarity. Nehemiah had no natural ability to accomplish what he wanted to do. He simply met with the Lord, got a plan, and was able to define what is it that I want to do. So the question to answer isn't if it's possible. The question to answer is what is, call, what is God calling me to do? Because there's a good chance if you can't define it, you'll never do it, right? If your vision isn't clear, people cannot follow the vision that you have. 
Okay, number one, we seek God faithfully. Number two, we define the vision clearly. And number three, we make plans carefully. I wrote this down, and you can too. A goal without a plan is just a wish. A goal without a plan is just a wish. Like I said before, sometimes the most spiritual thing that we can do is the practical thing that's right in front of us. And we see that. Nehemiah 2 verse 6 says this, Then the king, with the queen sitting beside me, asked me, How long will your journey take? And when will you, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. Okay, he's carefully planning out what he wants to do. So I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governor of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my requests. Okay, so what does he do? He asks, he knows he's planned, so he asks for exactly what he needs. He knows he needs protection, and he knows that he needs provision, okay? So we see this in this picture with, 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 with Nehemiah is that he seeks God, right? He's led by God. He says what God wants him to say. He's going where God wants him to go. His vision is clear. And so because of that, he's able to set a plan for what does he actually want to do. And, and most of the time when I talk to this with people, people get, they stumble because they're trying so desperately to make the perfect plan. They're trying to figure out all the steps and answer all the questions. And, 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 and imagine if Nehemiah would have done that, if he would have worked and tried to secure safe passage, and if he would have worked to try to cut a deal to get the, the timber and all the stuff, and he would have never actually gone. What I've realized is that our plans don't need to be perfect, right? In fact, as we're talking about our COVID-19 plan as we're trying to figure out what does this all mean and the world is changing and what was supposed to take 15 years took 15 weeks and as we're trying to plan I've realized that what we're doing is is that we're just simply doing the next right thing okay oftentimes we try to have the whole picture but all that God is asking us to do is do the next right thing that's right in front of you right so if you want to start a ministry seek God find out who's doing what you're doing right find out what's doing what you're doing set a meeting Go talk to those people. Take a tour of them doing whatever it is they're doing. Ask them some questions. Figure out how they did what they did, right? If you have an idea that you want to do, a business idea, right? Find an online class somewhere. Find a mentor. Write a business plan. Okay, listen to a podcast about that thing. Here's something for the young guys in the room. If you want to find a date, I'll tell you, take a shower, okay? Sell your PS4, <laughs> buy some nice clothes, 
go to soccer today, right? This is a great opportunity to meet some wonderful ladies going to soccer today. But here's the thing, success isn't the accomplishment in the future. Success is in doing the right thing today. It's a whole bunch of small right steps that get us to the big accomplishment that's in the future. And number four, we inspire people passionately. Because I tell you something, we read later on in the story of Nehemiah, which we're not going to get to today, but we realize that he sought God, he's got the favor of the king, he's got the provision and the protection, but that doesn't mean that he's going to live on easy street. We read about he has opposition, right? As he's rebuilding the wall, it says in one hand he holds a weapon and in the other hand he holds a hammer, right? As he's literally trying to hammer and fight people at this, right? This is the situation that he finds himself in and we, we realize the people are full of fatigue and distraction. And I'm sure that Nehemiah at some points in his walk, as he's beginning to walk this out, is asking himself the question, is this even worth it? Is this plan that I have a desire to do even possible? But we watch something special about Nehemiah is that in the face of doubt, that I could guarantee you he's feeling on the inside of him, we watch Nehemiah step up time after time after time after time and remind people about the promise of God. We see him inspiring people, reminding them that with man, these plans may be impossible, but with God, all things are possible. He understood that in order to accomplish the plan, he had to inspire people. And in verse 17, it says this, then I said to him, you see the trouble we are in. And I like this because he's not trying to pretend that everything is okay. He's able to acknowledge what's happening around him, but in the midst of it, he clarifies the vision. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. And he says, come. What's he doing? He's inspiring the people that, are, he's allowing the passion that's on the inside of him to begin to transform the people that are around him. He says, let's rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. Also, I told him about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. Can I tell you something? As we're planning on what we want to do, as we want to change and transform our region, John Wesley says it like this. He says, light yourself on fire with passion and people will come from miles to watch you burn. Can I tell you something this morning, Fort Erie, Buffalo and all over the world? I think it's time that some of us begin to pour a little bit of proverbial gasoline on ourselves and allow the fire that's in us to begin to burn brightly on the outside of us. Because it's amazing how there's so many people around us who simply just need to look at someone and they'll follow after you. I think it's time that we let this fire burn that's on the inside of us, that we inspire the people that are around us, that we help people understand that the world is not grim, the world is not bleak, that there's a hope in us, and, and that hope is Jesus, the treasure that lives in us. Because this is what it means to be a hero. Can I tell you something? 15 years ago, five people sat in the living room, you know, well, technically four and a half, because I really wasn't there. I was there, but I wasn't there. And today we see hundreds in multiple campuses 
thousands of, I mean, we're getting emails from people in India and literally all over the world about how they're being touched by our ministry. And, you know, we've launched Buffalo, the campus, and, you know, we're seeing all these amazing things that are happening. And can I tell you something? We are not stopping here, right? We were one and now we're two. But can I tell you something? That two is going to turn to three churches and then five churches and then 10 churches. Why? Because what's happening is there's a passion in us that cannot be contained. Why? Because we care about numbers? No, it's not because we care about numbers. It's because God cares about people. God needs heroes. God desires to minister to the hurting, to the broken, to the lost, to the dire. God needs people. And can I tell you, with our prayers, with our passion, God is going to transform this region and the the regions that are around us and the world simply because we allow our passion to burn on the inside of us. Lives being changed forever because of the passion that's on the inside of us. Can I tell you, we're not just building churches, but we're filling heaven with people who need to experience the grace of a loving savior. Can I tell you something? Break from my notes real quick. Do you know someone in your life who's in need of meeting this wonderful Jesus that we know? Somebody who needs to experience the the mercy and the grace. Can I tell you, invite them, love them, you know, bring them into this room. Although we may be a little crazy, let us show them what it means to be loved by an everlasting, all-knowing God. And watch what God can do in the lives of people. There's no one, can I tell you, church in Buffalo and all over the world, there is no one that is too far gone that God cannot touch. Can I tell you, this is my passion. This is what wakes me up in the morning. But it's not about my passion. It's about what is God doing on the inside of you? You become a hero when you allow the passion in you to boil over to the place where you can't contain it anymore. We can rebuild a city like Nehemiah. We can revive this place. We can be the good news in a world full of bad news. We are the heroes. Can I tell you what you care about is not an accident. God knew he was the one who placed this thing on the inside of you when he made you. And like I said in the beginning, the burden that you bear often reveals the difference that you'll make. If we take a second and pray over this in our lives, maybe you're sitting in here and you feel unqualified. Maybe you feel like Nehemiah, that you're just a rather ordinary person. Maybe you don't feel prepared. Maybe you feel like God should choose somebody else. Can I just say congratulations because you are exactly the person. You are the perfect person that God loves to use. Can I tell you there's passion in you for a reason. There's purpose in you for a reason. There's light and hope and desire in you for a reason. And that reason is you are a hero. So maybe that's you this morning. And I'm going to ask with every head bowed and every eye closed that you'd say, I have that passion. That you'd say, there's something in me. and Maybe I'm young and maybe I'm old, but there's something in me that tells me that I was made for more. That I feel like when you say that word, I'm a hero. 
resonates on the inside of me that I know it's who I was supposed to be. I'm gonna ask really quickly and I wanna pray for you. If you just slip your hand up on the count of three. One, two, three, that's you. See hands all over the room. You know you're a hero. Heavenly Father, I ask for every man, every woman, every child that's under the sound of my voice in this room and across the world. Or maybe we feel ordinary. Maybe we feel unqualified. Maybe we feel as though the desire that you've placed on the inside of us is just simply impossible. How could I, from little old Fort Erie, think that I could change the world? You know, it's so beautiful about the story of Nehemiah is, if you know anything that's happening in the world right now, there's this movement of people moving back to Israel. And it's a very significant event. And they actually call it that the Jewish, that the, the Jews make Aliyah. And this is a very significant thing that actually the government of Israel pays for people to move back. And the scripture says that it's this story, the story of Nehemiah, the ordinary looked over cup-bearing guy that now has made a difference. That They say that this was the first aliyah that the Jewish people ever made. This is the model. This is what they follow. Father, I'm asking that in the hearts of every man, woman, and child, God, that you would stir the passion to be a hero. That we would no longer look at the impossibilities, but we'd look at you, the God who makes all things possible. We ask for opportunities, Father, to express the passion that you've placed on the inside of us, to be the people you've called us to be in Jesus' name. And with everybody's head bowed and eyes closed still, I want to give an invitation. Maybe you're here today in Buffalo, across the world, and you hear me talking about this Jesus. You hear me talking about this hero, and maybe it resides in you. And maybe you've been told for your whole life that it was impossible for you to make a difference. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that Jesus is our Savior, that He goes on the journey with us, that His Holy Spirit empowers us to do the impossible. I'm going to ask that in both of our campuses and around the world, wherever you are listening to this, that you just simply repeat this prayer after me. Can we do it as a church family here and in Buffalo? Just repeat this prayer after me. Say, Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God sent from heaven to pay the price for my sins. I receive you as my Savior and my Lord. Holy Spirit, Fill me, use me to change the world. In Jesus' name, come on, if you believe it, somebody say amen.